You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. And they lived happily ever after. Boy gets girl. They ride off into the sunset together. Good triumphs over evil. The underdog snatches victory at the very last second out of the hands of defeat. For decades, those storylines represented perfect endings. But real life isn't that predictable, nor is it that stable, and for sure, it's not that perfect. So screenwriters decided to change things up a little bit, make movies about real life with real people, where now we have good guys that aren't 100% good, and we have bad guys that aren't 100% bad. So characters have gotten gray, plots have gotten even more gray. But the writers are still trying to craft perfect endings with all these imperfect pieces for one particular reason. We need them. We all need perfect endings. Crafting the perfect ending has become delicate. Um, If it's too predictable, then you lose everybody's interest. If it's too sappy, it's not believable. If some pain is necessary, but if there's too much pain and it's too dark, then no one leaves with any kind of joy. So what is the perfect ending? Here's how I define it. The perfect ending redeems the pain of the past, offers hope for and in the present, and points to a promising future. A perfect ending redeems the pain of the past, offers hope for the present, and promises a future. Making the components of perfect endings redemption, hope, and promise. And I think we need all three. Life is hard. The more baggage you have to carry, the heavier life is. How much more hope would we carry today if we weren't carrying the baggage of yesterday? If the last two years have taught us anything, it's how unstable and how unpredictable life really is. That control really is an illusion. And that instability has the propensity to instill fear now and instill fear for our future. But I've got good news today. God's perfect ending on Easter affords everybody the opportunity for a perfect beginning. And a perfect beginning and a perfect right now way to live. The death of Jesus redeems our yesterdays redeems our pasts. His resurrection offers power for us in the moment, but also a promise of a resurrection and a future. It accomplishes both in that one act. Two days ago, we celebrated Good Friday. In the moment, the day, the day seemed anything but good. 2,000 years ago, the life of a promising yet polarizing young man ended abruptly at the age of 33. Jesus was a disruptor, but in a good way. His words were challenging, but they were life-giving. 
His filter for relationship was who he could serve, not who could serve him. He's very specific about it, even defining himself, that he came to serve, not to be served. It's hard to believe that was disrupting behavior, but it was. In fact, it was the disrupting behavior that led him to being crucified on a Roman cross. The brutality of a Roman cross had kind of a layered purpose. I mean, the first layered purpose is obvious. We're going to kill you, right? That's the, that's the, the obvious one. The one that's not as obvious as below the surface is they weren't just out to end Jesus' life. They were out to end Jesus' legacy. It was a statement that all of this, who this person was and all they stood for, false. False. So, everybody, let's let everything die with him. Crucifixions were public executions. They were spectacles. Hundreds if not thousands of people would have turned out to watch these crucifixions. All of Jesus' closest followers would have been there somewhere at some degree of distance, but they all would have been there. Again, Romans' authority shouted this loud, clear message. What this man started is over. Get back to your old way of life and stop disrupting ours. This man's words and ways die with him. That's a clear message. And if you were close enough to the cross that day, you might have heard Jesus seemingly affirm that ending when in some of his last breaths and energy, he would have said, it is finished. Just before sunset, two of Jesus' more politically and um, influential followers get permission to take his body off the cross. The other two men would have hung there much longer. Who knows how long they would have hung there. But Nicodemus and a man named Joseph go to retrieve Jesus' body. And by the timing kind of of his death and the pending sunset, it's very possible that when they removed Jesus' body from the cross, it was still warm. And again, in the truncated time frame, I don't know if they would have wrapped the body then. Seems to stand to reason that they would have tried to wrap the body then to carry him. And they carry him to, in fact, what Joseph had purchased for his own family, a tomb. When they got to the tomb, they would have laid him, by now cold, on what probably would have been a shelf, if you're looking at it, that would have been carved out of the side of this cave, and they would have set him there. And all the process, the process would have been a much more elaborate. Um, it, would have, it would probably have had many more people if it wasn't for this needing to be done before the Shabbat, before the Sabbath that would begin at sunset. Now, normally... This would have triggered a massive celebration because this was the end of Passover. Passover was a big celebration. And yet I can't help but think, how did his disciples and followers celebrate Shabbat on that Passover? It would not have been with any celebration. It would have been with the heaviest of hearts. You could even say crushed souls, crushed dreams. By all accounts, everything Ending in the worst possible way. But it was because they had not yet comprehended how redemptions work. 
and what redemption points to. But they should have. In this conversation that Jesus taught them in John chapter 12, he says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of the wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. Anyone who was clinging so desperately to the only life they can really maybe understand, those who cling to that life will lose it. While anyone who hates their life, and it doesn't say, I, I hate my life. It's not someone running around with a cloud over their head. If anyone hates their life in this world and say, this, this life isn't worth the next one, we'll keep it for eternal life. So this is how redemption works. One death equals more life. One death equals more life. And I'm convinced that each of us, no matter where we are in the process, whether we're still in the process of trying to discover whether or not Jesus was who he said he was, or we've settled that question a long time ago, I would still conclude that we would experience more redemptions if we would release more dead things from our life. It only takes a one moment of sober thinking to ask myself, is this action, is this relationship, is this past memory, is this unforgiveness, is this anxiety, are they producing life or death in me? And if they're producing life, let's go for it. If they're, if they're producing death, why don't we let it go and let it die? It's not until we end something old that God can begin something new. And God always redeems death with life. One death equals much life. So Easter is God's object lesson. Just like I said, we, had, we have communion, we have a wafer, and we have juice, and we have baptism, and we have this. Easter is this big object lesson of God's, and it's this. He finishes what he starts, and he fulfills what he promises. That's the object lesson. He finishes what he starts. He fulfills what he promises. So when Jesus said, it is finished, he didn't say, I am finished. Anybody have any projects not done at home? <laughs> Three weeks ago, in this grandiose idea that my wife and I had, we love working in the yard, always have, because when we were first married and had our first house, that's all we could afford to do. That was our date. Let's go get some more dirt and pot some plants. Um, and, and so I ordered, I did all the measurement, or I measured, I measured the beds, how wide, how long, how deep. Um, it's, it sounds biblical, but I was just trying to calculate... <laughs> how much mulch was necessary for what I needed, right? And so I, I calculated 55 bags of two cubic feet of mulch. And so I arranged to purchase it, have it delivered. That was three weeks ago. And then when I pulled out of the driveway this morning, they were still neatly stacked up against our fence. <laughs> and every morning for three weeks, I drive out going, yeah, not yet, right? So, so, so I didn't even get started to quit, right? So we understand the difference of it is finished and I am finished. And so when Jesus is on the cross and he says, it is finished, that means it was finished. But the question then remains, well, what was finished? What didn't he quit on? What didn't he say I'm finished to? What did he say it is finished to? Well, 
John 3:16 and 17, he states his mission quite clearly. And here's what's interesting. He is having this conversation with Nicodemus. It should have come with a spoiler alert, like ding, 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 ding. Hey, in a couple years, Nicodemus, this is going to make a lot of sense to you, right? Because in a couple years, you're going to take my body off of a cross and you're going to remember this conversation, the conversation that said, how in the world can a grown man be born again? Let me put it in our vernacular. How can a grown man start over? How can a grown woman start over? How can all the stuff that led up to my now be let go? How can all the trouble that some of this stuff did, how can it be forgiven? It's a great question, isn't it? It's a great question. And Jesus gives him this answer that it was somewhat cryptic then, but it led us into the heart of what was going to happen later. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The unfathomable love of God sent Jesus on this redemptive mission, and the uncalculable, unmeasurable love that Christ had for his father and for us kept him there to finish it. It's not possible... To understand the magnitude of the love of God until you comprehend how much that love cost. We have to have some, at least some insight in the cost of redemption for us to appreciate the magnitude of love. I know it's popular to just say Jesus is love and God is love. And if we just loved everybody, wouldn't the world be better? Well, we've been saying that at least since the 70s with the Coca-Cola commercials. If you're that old, right? And, and so th- there's, there's more to this sappy idea of love. Love comes with concrete actions. It's just a sentiment unless it's followed by a cost. And Christ paid that cost to redeem. The word redemption comes from the word redeem. Redeem literally means it costs you something. You have to buy something back. And so who sets the price for this? Who set the price for our redemption? Well, God set the price for our redemption. And he set the price at a perfect sacrifice. And Jesus then becomes the only candidate that had the ability to pay that price. What was the price then? The book of Hebrews tells us that without the shedding of blood, that there's no remission of sin. So, the cost of redemption becomes the blood of a perfect sacrifice. Jesus being the only one that qualified So, when Jesus exclaimed, it is finished, he's rendering and he's referencing that the price of our sin has been paid in full by his blood, literally extracted from him in that moment on the cross. But just like the purpose of crucifixion was layered, not just to end the person's life, but to end everything about that person. His death on the cross also had a layered connotation. First would be that your sin's been paid for. The debt's been paid. I've just paid it. But the second marked Satan's demise. Let's get into both of these. Paul writes in Colossians 2, 
He's explained to it. He, listen, what, what you love when you're reading about Paul and you're reading the letters in the New Testament, you're reading, you're reading his explanation to what has taken place in the past. All right? And, and if you really want to impress somebody, then you say well, that's theology. But theology is the description and the understanding of what's taken place in Christ through God. Theology. So here's how he is trying to communicate this to these believers at this church. He says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. First message. Second message. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. He is giving this backstage um, understanding of this movie. And he writes it in a very, very personal manner when he says that each of us were or are dead in our sins. Listen, when he says that, it means not some of us, all of us. You were all dead in your sin, which makes then sin not just a mistake or a lapse of judgment, right? Or something, I guess if I had it to do over, I would do it over again. It, it makes it a death sentence. You were, you were dead. In fact, it would say if you're dead, then you're incapable of living. You were, you were dead. In that. that sin rendered you dead and incapable of life. Ah, so we have no ability to free ourselves, no ability to pay that price. And you know what I find very interesting um, is I think if we put a price on um, salvation, like it cost you, you know, I don't know, 25K. In some parts of the world, maybe ours, there'd be more people in line. Because then I've, I've earned it, I've paid for it, you know, I, hey, did you get your salvation? I got mine yesterday. Doesn't it look good? Right? But, but when something's offered and given and we can take no credit for it, boy, that's, that's a whole different ballgame. That, that brings up a whole other set of emotions. That brings up a whole other set of decisions that have to be made. But no one could afford the price. Even Elon Musk's $43 billion or whatever, whatever it was for Twitter. I mean, you just, you can't touch it. The language Paul uses is also very graphic when it starts talking about legal indebtedness. Really, in our language, he's talking about a rap sheet. He's talking about all of our rap sheets. You might not have a rap sheet. I'm sure today there'll be plenty of people here watching that have some things on the rap sheet. But think about rap sheet not just from that perspective. Think about it that God knows everything that you ever thought, said, done. Person you've cheated that you think has gone unnoticed has been noticed. All those things, the things that, that you so desperately want nobody to know, because if you believed, if you thought somebody would know them, they would treat you differently. That's our rap sheet. God calls those sin. And so he's bringing this image that all of us, all of us in the room, with all of our stuff written out, 
Coming to a cross and taking a physical nail and hammer and nailing it to the cross, that's the image he wants to, he wants to bring. Why the nail? Because it stays there. It doesn't get stuck to the bottom of your shoe and you don't carry it on. It stays there. You put it there, it stays there. It was deliberate, it was nailed. And then he shifts the gear and says, when, when Christ was nailed, he was our rap sheet. The irony, the man who knew no sin, was not sin, identified with us in our sin in baptism, and then receives not just, I take responsibility for it, it says he became sin for us. This perfect sacrifice born in the perfect relationship never had been separated from the Father. The Trinity always in, in, in intact, and here he becomes separated. Have you ever had a large debt paid off for you? How did you feel? I'm not talking about someone picked up your lunch. I'm talking about a large debt that you had been struggling under and had not had the ability to take care of, and someone actually stepped in and took care of it for you. If you've, have you ever had that happen? How about this? Have you ever been forgiven something? that you know down deep you would have had a hard time or maybe not ever going to forgive if you were the one on the other end. If you can connect to any of those scenarios and when it's been paid for and, and, and forgiven, the first response is kind of all. So you, you, don't, you don't even know if you can believe it. It just, because what's happening, you're still carrying the weight of it initially because you have a hard time believing that it was even possible that someone would do that for you. But then when you start to realize it was, it's true, you start standing up a little straighter. Why do you start standing up a little straighter? Because the weight that you've been carrying isn't on your shoulders anymore. You start sleeping better. Why? Because your mind is not racing. Those are amazing feelings. And that's the first, I believe that's the first thing trying, Paul's trying to communicate with this idea of now you've come to life because of Christ's death. But what about the second? He also uses some pretty graphic language, graphic meaning illustrative language, of a wartime victory parade. And this would have taken you back into that century where a victorious king, if the opposing king had not been killed in battle, he would have been paraded through the streets of the victorious town. And he would have been paraded in his defeat. But not just, hey, this is the guy we beat. If he would have had any, I don't know what would have been the, uh, I'm not enough of a historian on this. I don't know what he could have worn that would have indicated maybe past victories. But if there was something, it would have been stripped off of him. Like in a ceremony. Like right, not in the back room. Like, hey, everybody, look up here. All this stuff that tells you how powerful this guy is, not anymore. Rip. Rip. Whatever. Regal. Battle clothing, he would have been, he would have been stripped down naked and paraded through the streets. That would be a public spectacle of him. The cross would look looked like an ending to everyone, but it was actually Jesus running up the score in a deliberate manner to leave no doubt of the magnitude of that beatdown. That was for all my college football fans in here. That's that vernacular. Isn't it interesting, the man who lived in the shadow of a little town, 
wins the biggest victory. And when it was won, it wasn't won in a closet. It was won publicly. Easter is God's global object lesson that God always finishes what he starts, but he also fulfills what he promises. I know the story of a once told by a well-known pastor um, named Tony Campolo. And for context, Tony, Tony Campolo was a, a, a white Yankee guy. Sorry, so he's me. <laughs> the white Northeasterner. And he was invited to preach at a predominantly African-American church on Easter. So I've heard Tony tell this story actually in person. It's a pretty famous story if, 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 you, if your mind can go back that far. And so he's, he's invited to preach this, this service, and he, preaches, he says he preaches his guts out. Like he preaches everything. He leaves it all out there. He sits down. He's kind of perspiring. And um, the pastor of the church gets up. Now, I can't remember quite true the story was they were both going to preach messages or sometimes pastors of the churches they have guest speakers on when they don't feel like the person really hit the mark (laughs) they step up and preach it again or preach another one so the pastor stands up and he says it's Friday but Sunday's coming and he preaches and it just keeps getting louder it's Friday but Sunday's coming. And, and with all the energy and with, 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 with all of the drama that he could bring in him himself, and the church just goes ballistic, right? It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Tony says that he sat there, and he said when he reflected back, he got a few polite amens and golf claps. <laughs> because that pastor was able to communicate with an emotion that resonated with his people. That Friday was real, but Friday wasn't the end. That something else came. And Sunday came. Luke 24 records it this way. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning, stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, the angels said to them, why do you look for for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day raised again? Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Because it does. The idea of someone being dead for days and coming back to life seems like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Think about the emotions of these ladies and whoever else was with them as they came that particular morning. They would have come defeated and deflated. In fact, their very task seems to be to put the finishing touches on the death of Jesus. All indications that they would have come with something to prepare his body properly for burial that Joseph and Nicodemus didn't have time to do. When they get to the tomb, there is no stone across 
the cave. That wouldn't have been a, a, a measure of excitement for them. That would have been a measure to draw them even deeper into a depressed state. Because now not only was he dead, now someone else has stolen him. He's not in there. And then they hear the angel's words. But resurrection shouldn't have been a surprise to them. Because on multiple occasions, Jesus had made reference to that plan. Why didn't they see it coming? We, we always, well, we're, like we have the benefit of looking backwards, right? And so it's even hard sometimes if we don't pause around Easter to think about even some of the things I've tried to kind of elaborate on today, right? Because we know the end of the story. So let's hurry up past all the hard part and let's get to the good part, right? Here's why I believe resurrections are hard to believe. Because until you witness or experience one on your own, you don't believe they exist. I mean, these are one of those things that are firsthand experience things. Like you can hear someone else tell you about how their life changed. And you can even know about their life. And they can tell you about how their life changed. And in a lot of occasions you're going, well, we'll see. Right? We'll see how long this lasts. And the longer it lasts, the more you believe. The longer it lasts, the more you go from, well, good for them. Good for them. I'm happy for them. Good for them. To, I wonder if that could be good for me. See, the one thing I wish every believer would stop saying is, well, this works for me. I don't know if it would work for you. If it works anywhere with anyone that you could ever track down and realize it's legit, it works for everyone. But Peter had to still go see for himself. That's okay. That's actually a good thing. It's actually a good thing to go, well, I'm glad it worked for them. I'm not sure if it would work for me. But you know what? It sure is worth trying to find out if it works. I mean, it, it should be worth some serious consideration. To me, why do you look for the living among the dead is one of the most poignant lines in all of Scripture. It speaks to the propensity to keep searching for life. It speaks to the propensity that we generally keep searching for life in dead places. And it speaks to God's ability to produce life out of dead places. Right? So the death on a cross produces life. A dead place. A dead place is where life was found. You... You can find life in dead places. You can, if you're looking for life. If your eyes are open, if you will go ahead and buy into these dead places that you've been looking for life, if you would recognize it's not producing what you thought it would produce, you don't have to get out of that place to experience the life of Christ. You just have to recognize it really is a dead place. And the place that you're trying to find, the thing you're trying to find, can only be satisfied with the life of Christ. Resurrections are the best thing God does. And what God did, God still does. His, his resurrection provides power for today, but it also provides hope for tomorrow. 
So the crucifixion redeems our past. Here's this perfect ending, right? The crucifixion redeems our past. The resurrection gives us hope and power for today, but also points to the promise of a future. We spend a lot of time. We spend a lot of time making family plans, career plans, investment plans, retirement plans. Doesn't it make sense for us to make some life after death plans? Paul explains what happens at the end of life for everyone. For everyone that accepts a new beginning from Jesus' perfect ending. Here's how he says it in 1 Thessalonians. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. This is Jesus's, this is Jesus, this is God's perspective on death for the believer. You're taking a nap. No matter how long it may seem, you're napping. Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left into the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Anybody drive on uh, 31 near the Williamson Funeral Home and they do a, they do a sunrise service there every day? Like that one day, that's going to be the place to have been. I mean, that's going to be a shocking kind of day. Verse 17, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. (laughs) I love how he ends that section. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Listen, I get it. Life now matters. I mean, it is in front of us. It stares you in the face every day. This life matters. And he deals with the power we need for this life. But this life is not the only life that we will be living. It's not the only life available to us. If If it is, then we better hold on really tight. But I don't believe it is. Which means then, I'm going to hold on to it with an open hand. Heaven, I believe, is a real place. I believe it's a fairy tale or something made up to um, either keep us in line or dangle a carrot for certain behavior. It's a real place. It's a real promise. It's a place that we can't imagine, no matter how descriptive Revelation and other books may be of heaven, we just... I don't even try to go there. I, I, can't, I can't make sense of it. I don't know what a, a gate that looks like a pearl and a, a street that's translucent. Like, oh, I, I, can't, I can't wrap my brain around that. But here's what I can wrap my brain around. I can wrap my brain around a life the way God had intended it to be initially. I can wrap my brain around that sin It caused a pain and a break 
that God bore himself for us. He so desperately wanted it to be the way he intended and for our relationship with him to be the way he intended that he doesn't then just point the finger at us for breaking it. He points the finger back at him to fix it, to redeem it. I can imagine that. I can think of a place like that. I can think of a relationship like that. I can think of a life like that. And the promise of that life is for eternity. Something else we can't wrap our brain around. A forever, forever. So what do you do with the hard now? Pastor, you're saying that the resurrection provides power now and hope now, and it does. And so what do you do with all the hard now? Because hard still exists. Paul also tells us what to do with that, or at least how to view it. He says in 2 Corinthians, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly. We're being renewed every day, right? So outward and wasting away. Listen, I'm 58. There is plenty of waste happening. But inwardly, get this now, outwardly, the, more, the further I move away from my birth, the more everything fades away. But the further, the further I move away from my birth, the further I move towards forever in Christ. So inwardly, why outwardly it's wasting away? Inwardly, man, I'm getting stronger. There's new stuff happening inwardly. And then he goes on and he says this, for our light and momentary troubles, the man knew heavy and existing troubles. He is not diminishing a trouble. He's not somehow trying to sugarcoat a hardship. He has experienced them. But listen, he's experienced them through the filter of forever. And so when he experiences them through the filter of forever, then he categorizes them in a different way, in the actual actuality of their ways. Because he says they are light and momentary. They're achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs all of them. All of what the heart is, eternity outweighs it. And in reflection backwards, we say, yeah, those were light and momentary. Because it's in comparison to where we are. What does your life look like now? Are you in need of redemption? Are you in need of hope for a present? Are you in need of a promise for a future? Because Jesus' perfect ending, we did his perfect timing, his perfect sacrifice. And his perfect ending is what opens the door for all of us for a perfect beginning. So, as I wrap up, then how do you begin? How, how do you begin a new life separate, completely distinct from an old life? Well, the path for life God has for you will always come through the death of the life you're trying to hold on to. The path of life God has for you will always come through the death of the life you are trying so desperately to hold on to. The more death you let go of, the more life you can hold on to. So what, what is that, Pastor? It's, it's repentance. I mean, the word r- literally means to turn around. I mean, it's, it's a literal change of direction. It's a little of dropping this, the old that anchors to the new that releases. It's repentance. All right, well, what's repentance? 
Repentance is owning my stuff. Repentance is not, I'm, not, I'm sorry. Repentance is I'm different. I'm going to walk, I'm going to walk away from that. Where, where does the power of that come from? I mean, how can you just walk away from that? Well, we experience that power in the resurrection of Christ. And we're baptized, we're baptized in his death, but dude, when we get up out of that water, we're resurrected into his life and his power. So the same power that raised Christ from the grave exists inside the follower. And listen, and you might not experience it right away, meaning you, you, don't, know how, you don't know how it all works. I mean, look, I used to play the Atari video games and I was good at them. But when they start adding 6, 10, 30 buttons to this stuff, like I'm lost, right? Right? I am just completely lost. These games do more than I can do. It's my car. My car has more horsepower than I'll ever, ever use. But the more I get used to it, the more I want to use. You know what I'm saying? I mean, when you start, when you start getting, when you start getting this idea that, wait a minute, boy, there is more inside of me than I've let out of me. When there's more to Christ, there's more to Christ inside of me than it's getting out of me. And you start growing in this. You, you, don't, you don't start out, they don't give you the keys to the Maserati when you first get started, but you still got the engine in there. And it starts with the repentance. It starts with turning around. Dying to yourself leads to being resurrected with Christ. Not everything dies in the moment of salvation. It does because the power is there, but then as we walk with Christ... He brings us to new areas and he says, you know what, that one's keeping you back. That, that, there's a little death in that there. And if you would trust me that there's more life without that than what you're trying to hold on to with it, let's go. And each new, each new dead thing you let go of and trust God with the life that he puts in front of you, boy, the more hope you start having, the more power you start living in, the more joy you start carrying with you. And that life that you live turned around from that other dead stuff walking towards the life of Christ leads us to a life more and better than we would have ever dreamed. That's also his words. A life more and better than we ever dreamed. So where, where are you today? What perfect ending needs to be applied to your life? So it, it applies to all of us in this room whether you're still trying to figure out if Jesus is real or you've been walking with him a long time, when he starts moving us forward, this is a day that demonstrates to us there's still more resurrections available. What dead thing are you holding on to today? Just like when these kids, and I think there's five in the, the 11 o'clock service, it was a perfect day for baptism. It's a perfect day for your life to be resurrected. It's a perfect day to let go of some dead stuff and hold on to Christ. We're going to stand and worship because we want to speak the name of Jesus over you. All this takes place in worship. All this takes place in the name of Jesus. But as we sing, speaking the name of Jesus over you, if you're not a regular here at Gateway, I say this often, movement matters. And I know it's Easter, and, but there's communion to our right and our left, the other sacrament. If you want someone to pray with you, you don't know how to move forward. You can't, you, I haven't even been able to explain it well enough to where you can't articulate it. What do you do? Come, we'll pray with you. I, I bet probably someone behind you or next to you would pray with you if you'd let them know. But you can pray. God has done all the heavy lifting in Christ. Our prayer is receiving. Lord, I forgive me of my sin.
I don't want to live the way I've lived. I repent of that last life. Give me the power to live with you. Any version, it's more a concept than it is words, meaning you, there's not a, it's not a magical phrase it's that, that someone speaks. And it's, it's what you give to him. Everything you give to him, he will bring that dead stuff and he'll bring it into life. So Father, I pray for the men and women in this room, the students, those watching online, those in the overflow today. You are our life. Lord, and I pray today that dead things would die for the last time in this room today. In the name of Jesus. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.